I guess we all become to some extent our own character. Ciao, this is Lucas. Welcome to the Toast of the Wild East, a podcast for ambitious Toastmasters willing to raise their game. In this podcast, I interview guests willing to share their insights about applying what they learn in Toastmasters in their professional career to help you do the same. Today's episode is the second part of an interview with Percy Rowland. Percy is a real estate sales executive and a famous Toastmaster from Marbella, Spain. Our chat with Percy was so much fun that it got really long, so I split it in two parts. And this is part two. Enjoy. Uh, you mentioned already a couple of times Toastmasters in the process. So do you think you'll be able to like point how Toastmasters, how it linked with uh, your work in real estate? Because I know that you... You start. You said it like the first time you try. You were like I don't know, 22, so it was probably before you joined Toastmasters, and mm-hmm. like but you joined Toastmasters quite some years ago. How did like those these two things fit in, and did it influence the communication skills you learned in Toastmasters? Did it influence how you deal with your clients? A lot, actually. I joined Toastmasters before I, I joined real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, I if I remember correctly, I joined. This is how long ago it is. I have to try and remember. <laughs> um, it was beginning of 2006. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So um, I was just, I turned 20. Yeah, it was just before my birthday. I was like, oh, I need to do something. You know, I need to start having a social life. I can't be a hermit for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I found this. I, I, this is before before social media. You know, Facebook was probably still, um, didn't even exist. And I found it in some newspaper that there was this speaking club. I thought, oh, this is interesting. I find speaking, you know, when I was a child, I was obsessed with, because um, I grew up with my father watching all the political debates and, and so on, and I found it fascinating. So I, was, I, I terrorized my parents with giving speeches on every subject until I said, look, we can't listen to it anymore. Will you please go <laughs> give a speech to the dog? And, um, <laughs> But anyway, I, I joined this and found it very interesting. And of course, as all everything at the time was like um, average age, because this really was a retirement place at the time. So the average age in the club is about 70 or oh, six, wow. six, 60 after I joined it. <clears throat> now, there was one, there, there was, bless her, there was one girl there who was in her 30s. And she's like, oh, I'm so glad somebody's joining who's younger than me. I was always the baby. And now, you know, now we have another baby. Uh-huh. Um, and no, it's fascinating. I, I think it influences you a lot because, well, it has influenced me a lot because real estate, well, like I think most, um, actually most activities, certainly where you, where you deal with other people, it's communication. What we do with communication, obviously there is a purpose. Behind every communication, there's a purpose. And in our case, it's, you know, try and find a property, but, or sell a property. Mm, but it's communication. It's humans communicating with humans and try trying to achieve a result so uh, communication skills are key and I think what Toastmasters has given me is a lot I mean you know when you've stood in front of first of all it's it's just a level of confidence you know if you're and we I think we all like the number one thing that Toastmasters used to sort of sell as a as a positive is that you gain confidence and I, I will never forget this phrase they had um you don't lose your butterflies, but you make them fly in formation. You know, uh-huh. butterflies in your stomach. Mm-hmm. I've always thought of that. 
and and so the the confidence you gain from it once you've stood in front of a of, you know 300 people at nine o'clock in the morning to do a table topic and there's not a lot that can intimidate you and um then yes table topics thinking on your feet practicing that because life right real especially in real estate it's like a permanent table topic you constantly have to come up with something and sometimes you really have to improvise when you don't know the property and somebody asks you very specific questions and you can't the professional thing to say is i don't know i will check this for you but if after the fifth question you again have to say i don't know this they look at you like do you know anything have you ever been in this property yeah. so sometimes you have to improvise of course that can go badly wrong when you're when you're leading the oh my god well you know like the most embarrassing moments when you when you lead someone through the house and you they ask you what's behind this door and you you say oh, i think it's the laundry room and you open it and it's a bedroom or something <laughs> it's like uh-huh. <laughs> you think oh my god this is a table topic gone wrong but yeah thinking on your feet is a massive um, skill that we learn um but then i think just you know what we do when we prepare a speech and we have a limited period of time to uh-huh. speak uh-huh. five to seven minutes usually and you pick a subject and your subject can be real estate for example yeah and then you realize that real estate is a bit too broad to give a speech on so you have to narrow it down and then you think okay what is my what is my objective with this speech and what is my message and then you narrow it down again and then you have your main you know bulk of the speech and you have to have like three main points so you reduce it further and you really think about the structure. Okay, so I try to get from A to B. There's always a purpose that the, something has to change in the audience, right? There has to be some value of the speech. And, and then the structure of how to phrase your thoughts or organize your thoughts in the most effective manner. And, you know, the opening, the body, the, the, what we, they used to call the um, hook, the body and the punch, right? All these things when that we practice with uh, giving uh, speeches, they kind of become second nature. And I, I catch myself doing it even in emails. You know, I, I structure an email a little bit the way I would structure a Toastmaster speech. There's a, an opening, a body, a conclusion. There's a call to action in there somewhere, especially if I'm presenting an offer. Um, so, you know, these kind of things, they really um, stay with you. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a great. Um, a great school for me in many many ways uh-huh. uh there is some so i i can totally understand how these things how they are linking together nicely there is one area where i see being you know working real estate and selling property com is it very it differs very much from being a toastmaster is in toastmasters everything is volunteering you're helping people for free Mm-hmm. And in real estate, I see it as your main focus is, okay, so you got this property and if you sell it, this is the, well, this is the amount of money that you're going to get as a commission. Mm-hmm. Have you ever like identified as like ever being like a Toastmaster? Have you maybe realized that you may be trying to help people too much or maybe the other way around that you have your real estate uh, person attitude uh, when you're in Toastmasters? Have you ever like, you know, realized there is this, like tension um, not really um what i would say is that i was just having a, a chat with so now i have a, a, a colleague in my office who joined recently in my company 
who I've known from Toastmasters for many years. We were we were in the same club for years, and you know we've been friends for, for for a long time. We never worked together, but we know each other from Toastmasters for I don't know seven years, and we were talking about it yesterday, and and it's you know I think the the main way it influences just real estate here is sometimes can be just extremely time consuming. Uh, you go through phases where you work, you know, most of us also, even if we're working for a company, technically we're self-employed. So we don't have like, it's not a nine to five job, you know, it's not fixed hours, which can be great in some ways. Like I'm not a morning person. So it's it's generally understood. Do not expect me to turn up in the, in the office at nine o'clock. And that's fine. You know, you arrange yourself, but it can, it can mean that some, you know, some days you work until midnight. And, you know, yeah, I've done night viewings, I've had clients with, or, you know, you pick them up from the airport. And um, so it can be very time consuming and can leave little time for other things. So I would say definitely since my, since I, when work got more and more intensive, my Toastmasters activity has gone down in line with it. Um, I am now very, a, a very, you know, I'm not a very active Toastmaster. Um, the thing of whether you do it, from what you do, whether you do it for money or for as a volunteer, doing it for money sounds bad. Um, it's just I don't I don't know. I think on the I think almost on the contrary, uh, it's harder sometimes with volunteers because if you like, let's say especially I think one thing that you also learn in Toastmasters that's very useful is you know once you join a, the the leadership team of your the committee of the club or something like that, and you you really learn a lot about how to lead a team, build a team and motivate team members. And that of course is so much harder when it is a volunteer organization, you know? Um, so if you, can, if you can motivate volunteers to do something for free, then it's, it'll be very easy to volunteer people who work for money. Um, the other way around is much more difficult. Mm. But no, I think ultimately, the, if you find yourself only motivated by money or by the commission you're going to get that in itself should be a warning sign um you know then you are not going to give the best service to your client and this happens a lot you know you find that uh, an agent is pushing one specific property because they have a higher commission on it or because it's their direct listing uh, and the amounts can be very important i mean here commission levels are very high and even okay Often it's split between three, four agents, and or and and then if the agent works for a company, they only get a percentage of it. So it's not like everybody's making millions, but sometimes the commissions can be, you know, six-figure uh, commissions. And of course, people, are, you know, they're going to kill sometimes for this kind of thing. Mm, but also, very often these deals then fall apart at the last minute because what we were talking about before, if the motivation isn't there, or if you try and push or trick a client into buying a specific property where maybe the motivation was not 100%, there will always be hurdles at the end. There will always be, but this is, especially in Spain, we always have some legal hurdle or some, some problem. And there's the big difference. If your client was motivated from the start and was really on board with the process, then you come, with a, you come up with a problem and they will say, okay, how do we solve this? Whereas if they weren't fully committed to the process, they will often see it as an excuse to pull out because they were uneasy, you know? And, and so that's why I, th I, I really, 
think it is very, very important that obviously you want to close the deal, you want to you want to close it, but you have to do it from a perspective of I want to make this client happy. I want this client to find the best possible match uh, as a property, and then you will close a deal. And if it's not the biggest deal, okay, you will do another one. But um, if people are too motivated by money, it's dangerous. Got it. That makes yeah, that makes total sense. Well, well one last thing to the real estate topic that comes to my mind, mm -hmm. or, or maybe two things. Mm. You mentioned that some of the property that you are selling is, is really, let's say, luxurious villas, but that can cost a couple of million euros or even yeah. more. I can imagine that also the people you have to deal with are special in some ways. Do, yes. you, do you remember any you know, particular experience that you found, let's say, interesting in any way? Oh, God, uh, so many. Uh... <laughs> you do really get you. I mean, okay, people with a lot of money are, are are just people also. I mean, and and nowadays it's also it's become interesting. You know, back in the day, it was often oh, most people with with you know considerable money were older. Um, they were either retired CEOs or something, or they maybe they had it was old money they had inherited and so on. Now it's a lot of people our age. You know, the mad IT startups and then. Um, you know, maybe invested in Bitcoin and made a lot of money. And if they're still invested in Bitcoin, probably they lost it. But uh, <laughs> it's it's a different, it's a very different mentality. And, and you get a lot of people now, really, you know, very wealthy people, and they're like, "Hey, bro, what's up?" You know, they speak like this. Yeah. And it, so again, you're a chameleon and you adapt. Uh, but yes, you get, and, and also, we do get a lot of fake clients, which is extraordinary. I mean, at the moment, fake, I had a, fake clients. Yes, so you get an inquiry. Oh, the best one the other day was um, I had a fake shake. I called him the fake shake. Um, I got an email from a name from Saudi Arabia, and I Googled it, and it was one of the most important politicians in Saudi Arabia who had been, you know, with the purge with the um, Saudi, um, a few years ago with the Saudi uh, royal family, you know, this whole battle going on. Anyway, um, I Googled him, and I thought, you know, in this, you, you always, if it, you have to be, you have to sort of give him the benefit of the doubt. And then, so I wrote to him and I asked a friend who deals with a lot of Arab clients, like, how do I address him correctly and this and that and so on. Got a reply, which already looked very suspicious. And then, the, and then it turned out into, can you, you know, I will buy this property unseen, right? He has never, never set foot in it. I will buy full asking price. If you can help me, my accounts are frozen. And can you please go to Amsterdam where I have $25 million in a safe and, you as my trusted real estate person can withdraw this money and I will pay you $3 million for your efforts. No way. I thought, this is my lucky day. This is brilliant. So <laughs> I told them we had a team meeting. I read out all the emails because they were laughing their heads off. I said, sorry, I'm quitting my job. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like the Nigerian prince scam, you know, it's this sort of thing. But we, we do get quite a few and sometimes they're really persistent and you it can be difficult to, sometimes it can be really difficult to identify uh -huh. if they are because also you know okay you do know your client forms and everything else but some people are you know they value discretion a lot and you have to you can't go in immediately with like i need all your details because they will be put off so <laughs> it's an interesting one but yeah characters we had uh, oh my god um I, I i i i can remember some fun stories i think probably uh -huh. the, the the one where i really thought 
table topics, how do I get out of this, was when I, it was one of the first um, big sales I did. And it, the buyers Excuse were, me, when you, say, when you say big sales, like, you know, what, what, like, what, what category is that? It was, let me think, it was, two, it ended up being 2.6 or 2.7 million. The property was um, offered at 3 million. Oh, and yes, it's so funny. I, I remember this, uh, the, the buyers were from Prague. Oh, wow. Yes, and they were not my clients. It was a friend of mine, actually, who I knew, again, to some extent, thanks to Toastmasters, because I was invited to the radio to be on a, on a, a like a chat show. And uh -huh. there was a, a, a guy that we met who was also doing real estate. And, you know, we clashed big time over politics, but uh, we got on very well. <laughs> and then he knew that when he knew that I had joined this company, he called me and said, dude, I need a, I need a desperate, I need a beachfront a penthouse. I've got these guys from Prague and they want to buy now. So I sent him what we had, it was like three options. They picked the one that he thought was the least likely, like very, they wanted something modern. And this was super opulent Arab style. He said, I don't believe it, we want to watch it. And it blew it, they, they came, they were pretty much tipsy when they arrived, they'd had a big liquid lunch. <laughs> and it was one of those things, he picked it, He picked them up in, in a Maserati, drove them down into the carport, went into the elevator, straight up into the penthouse. You know, it's like you come in, especially if you've had a few drinks, you say, wow, this is amazing. So it took 10 minutes and they said, yes, we want to buy it. And then we had to negotiate. It took a few weeks actually until they came to an agreement on the price. But then the problem started. Turn okay. out the property was actually not legal. There were, there were, I, there were, I won't bore you with the details, but there were hundreds of issues. Uh, we had three lawyers involved, one of whom we nicknamed Mr. Bean because he acted like Mr. Bean and looked like Mr. Bean. And anyway, <laughs> it went on for three months and we still didn't have even a reservation deposit on it so it was really it could fall apart at any minute now yeah. the owner was a syrian gentleman and he was he built the uh, the complex and he was he was getting very restless and i was dealing with his daughter who was sort of handling the sale and she warned me so when they finally came for an inspection of the property and it was only the second time they ever set foot in it so i was very scared they could just walk in and say oh no we didn't like it sorry can we just not buy this Uh -huh. So we were really worried, and there's about ten of us standing at the at the entrance. Ten of you? Yeah, like there was so father and son. Father only spoke Czech. Son spoke English. Uh, architect, lawyer, um, other agent. I don't know how many people we were all sort of queuing up to get into the apartment, and it was a one of those duplexes, so it has a terrace on the rooftop. And we, as we arrive, we see this old gentleman standing up there with a big cigar. And when he saw us, he started screaming at us in Spanish. And I'm not sure, I don't think I can use uh, bad language on this. Oh, no, no, you can, you can. You can use all bad language you want. I will not translate. But basically, just screaming his head off. And it was like slow motion movie scene. The father turned to the son, asked him something in Czech. Son turned to his friend, the buying agent. He turned to me. He said, "He's asking why is why is this man? What is he saying? Why is this man so angry? Angry?" I mean, he was telling us like, "Get out of my house!" And I was thinking like, "This was really where I thought table topics, table topics." And I thought, <laughs> out of my desperation, the first thing that came to my head was he said, "He's asking why is this taking so long? When are we finally going to the notary?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
soon, soon he was giving him thumbs up and the guy was showing him the finger, get out of my house. Uh -huh. So yeah, those things happen. Well, we but I mean, how, yeah, how, how did it end up? Three months later, we, we signed. <laughs> <laughs> it was like one of the longest uh, drawn out deals. It was painful, but yeah, we did. We got it. We got it through. Wow, amazing. Okay. Yeah, interesting. I can imagine that uh, yeah, we're dealing with particularly wealthy people. You must uh, you must have a couple of interesting couple of interesting mm. stories, and they must be also quite quite interesting characters. Mm. Eccentric, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, speaking but of, we just wanted a, yeah a lot of uh, often it's like that's the expectation, but actually also a lot of a lot of them. It's just, you know they're perfectly normal people. The only thing is once you get used to, I think, a certain level of wealth, um, your attitude changes to some degree in that you really, um, well, but again, it, I, know, I don't know. I'm sort of arguing with myself here. That it really depends on the person. You know, some people are not changed by the all. I think a lot of it depends on the experience of how you perceive that you made your money. So if you perceive that it's because you were extremely uh, thrifty and you were sensible and you never wasted your money, then that will shape your attitude. And if you if your perception is that you made your money because you took risks when others didn't, then again that will, you know, you have a totally different attitude to risk. If that's actually it's a that's a good one. You just made me think about this. The attitude to risk, um, that's a big difference in in personality. And that's a key factor that you need to understand when you meet someone. Interesting. I have you this I have a, an insight now from talking to you. Oh, wow. Awesome. I will, I'm actually going to write it down. Attitude to risk. I've never thought of it as a, like a qualifier for clients. Hmm. Good one. Speaking of the wealthy people being special characters, I think, Percy, you are probably known as being quite a special character yourself. <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least that's, these are the feelings that I get from the broader Toastmaster community, uh, how they mm -hmm. perceive you and how they react to your comments. So I wanted to ask you about that. Is it something, is it, let's say, a brand that you're actively cultivating or is it something that comes completely naturally to you? Wow, that's actually a deep question. That's like for my psychologist. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think both. Um, to some degree, it's not, I wouldn't say that I, I consciously, well, first of all, I'm not sure I even agree with this. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know how far I would agree. Like, okay, it's definition of character. I just, um, no, it's not. It's not a. It's not a consciously cultivating anything. But it's. It is my. I guess we all become to some extent our own character, uh -huh. especially with. Of course, Toastmasters is a performance art to some degree, isn't it? You know, you 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 yeah. do when you give a speech, you are performing, you are on stage, and even if you try, and I've always favored and tried to have a very natural speaking style i'm not a fan of gimmicks i'm not a fan of you know some of the classic international championship um things i don't want to mention any details but you know like rolling around on the floor is not my thing yeah. however um i also 
I think to some extent just to overcome my maybe natural shyness or, or nerves or something. Like for, my, for me, my default is I want to make people laugh because it makes me feel more secure. If I, if I make a joke, I realize the audience is there, you know, they react and they're with me uh -huh. and it's like a drug, you know, so yeah. it's, 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 it's really, it's, it's my crutch in a way to the point that at some point I, I, I thought I actually have to stop always slipping in jokes because it's like, a, it's almost an addiction and it's, um, it limits me in my um, expression to some degree because I always want to get that reaction, you know, so it's interesting when you, and, and so there are so many presentations about how to become more humorous in speaking and so on. And I'm like, I need the opposite. How can I turn it yeah. on? You know? <laughs> so so you, need, you just need some seriously speaking manual. Maybe. Or a serious Toastmaster path. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it could be. But I think, no, I mean, I mean the, generally an audience always is grateful when you, when you keep them entertained and it's easier to absorb content uh when it's delivered in an entertaining way um and then yeah it's a certain i guess it's a personality trait like i i it's the way i cope with life you know it's sort of sometimes it's gallows humor you just uh you turn whatever is bothering you into a joke and it makes it more more acceptable yeah um that's that's an interesting point of view huh? using humor as let's say as not not as a weapon, but as a, as a tool to get yourself more reacts and to check that the audience is there and they are there with you. Okay. I, I mean, it's a, it's a great way to make a connection. And I know, I mean, I heard you speak on, on many, many occasions and I'm always curious. And also, I mean, on this, it doesn't come in just, in just the, those master speeches, but in different forms of communication, such as, such as social media posts. And I have here one highlighted. I wanted to read it out to you and like ask you, you know, how, how does this guy come up with this stuff? So I, I will quote, I will not read the whole thing because it's quite long, but I will read it, okay? And <laughs> I'm curious about, about your reaction if you can like tell, uh, tell me a little bit more how do you come up with this stuff? So it's a post from February, 2020 that you recently reshared. And it's begin, there is a picture of some old car and it says, Bonjour, I'm Madame Peugeot. For eight years, I have served my master well. I've taken him to beautiful places all over Spain. I've taken him home safely when he was too tipsy to drive and no longer remembered where he lived, and so on and so on, skipping some parts. And towards the end is, like, basically, it says that you don't want that car anymore. And then it continues. Well, au revoir. I know he doesn't love me anymore. He wants one of those topless models. He'll find out soon how high maintenance they are. Right now, he can't even afford one, but he's already cheating on me. One of those starty little Italians. He rents them at the airport. Disgusting. I've had it. In one hour, I am getting picked up and taken to Morocco. I am starting a new life. They will give me a good polish, screw me and unscrew me, and ship me down to Ghana. I can't wait. They say once you go black, you never go back. Well then, adieu. <laughs> Honestly, Percy, how do you come up with this kind of stuff? Well, this has a long history. Um, my so the thing is, you can't you can't just by yourself, you know, come up with yeah. Okay, I can come up with a lot of stuff, but because I I, I grew up with it, and 
I, I, my father had a wonderful sense of humor. And he was a ma magnificent storyteller, and I, he lived, you know, he led a James Bond life, traveling the world and everything. And and I spent my childhood listening to his anecdotes. And then I was very influenced by certain books and and certain storytellers. I don't know who knows a, um, who of our listeners will know uh, an old English actor called David Niven, who was one of the most wonderful storytellers and. Uh, he wrote a book, a memoirs called The Moons of Balloon, which is one of the wittiest and cleverest books I've ever read. So that was those were maybe my influences as a, as a, you know, growing up. But Madame Peugeot has a long history. It was my car for many years, and I was being laughed at in, especially in real estate, because everybody drives, you know, very fancy cars. And I was turning up at these luxury properties in the little Peugeot. And and she was she was very faithful, very good car. And you know, in English, a car is female. So at some point, I nicknamed first I nicknamed her Mademoiselle Peugeot, and then as she got older, she became Madame Peugeot, and it became a running joke with a few of my friends. So when I finally sold her, and she was basically the engine was falling out, and she was very, um, yeah. The guy who came and checked her out and said, "No, there's nothing we can do. It's like um, I will. I got some Moroccan guy who's going to buy it and you know take it take you know take it to Morocco and there they'll do whatever. And probably would still run. So, <laughs> so it just, for me it was like I knew that at some point. Well, I'd actually been thinking about it before, and I thought if I ever sell the car, I will do a, 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 an advert where the car is basically offering itself." Uh -huh. and do it differently and then it didn't you know it didn't even come to that so I just thought I'd let the car write its own farewell to me uh -huh. and, <laughs> and then of course once I start writing I can never resist a pun and I can never resist double talk and uh -huh. slightly um, dodgy jokes so uh, I really uh, I really like the topless topless Italian model that's pretty cool <laughs> uh, well you know I, I I was and I still am sort of looking for a uh, convertible it's sort of a dream I have but that the thing is that I started as a, in between I started renting little Fiat 500 at the airport so that's where the little Italian the tarty Italian comes from uh-huh so it's all double talk uh-huh but but basically all of it is somehow inspired by real stuff that was happening to you and you just put it in words to make it sound funny yeah this is this is the thing I need to entertain myself somehow <laughs> uh -huh, okay so so you're basically you're it does, is it is it true that it's entertaining for you not just when you like share it and when you receive the, the laughs from others but just all, already the process of putting it together uh, is uh, entertaining for you oh yeah i think that's the most it's like when you come up with this idea and you're sort of chuckling inside thinking oh this is going to be fun you know uh -huh. it's it's that that is really what was the is it a Einstein quote is create something creativity having fun mm -hmm. um so it's like I just and and it can be very quick like I think this thing I wrote in 10 minutes or something it was I mean the idea was at some point in my head and then when when they took the car away and I saw her disappear it just it, it popped into my head and I wrote it down but um I do I, th I think to some degree it's I mean this is just for me it's my it's it's it comes naturally but there is one thing I think that you can sort of, if, if, if you want to do this, you can train yourself to, to find the funny little things. I find a lot of people, they go through life and they, they don't really see what's going on around them. And of course, especially these days, we're all, we've got our noses buried in our phones all the time. So we're not 
you know, when you look at when you're in the supermarket and you're about to check out and you have to wait, like immediately people whip out their phones. They don't look left and right anymore. Uh-huh. And it is when you stand there and you look left and right that you see funny things. You see weird things. And I have always been curious about people. And I, I, I look around and I just spot something. And uh, when I, you know, when you're traveling, you really have these wonderful things. You go to, to Asia, especially, and you have these brilliant road signs that say something in English, but it means something totally different. And just, I cannot walk past it and not notice it. And then I see the funny side and I take a picture. I'll never forget, I was in, in Malaysia and there was, um, uh, there were a couple of buildings next to each other and one was a clinic and it had the most dilapidated facade. The whole building looked as if it was cr- about to crumble down. It looked really like as if a bomb had hit it. And it was called the Penang something head and neck clinic. And okay. half the letters were falling down. The K was hanging under the N and it was, it was, it looked, so that already to me was funny. Like who would have their head and neck operated on in this place? So I started, I took a picture and as I'm framing it, I noticed that right next to it is another shop with a beautiful shiny sign, brand new. It said Penang family butchers. <laughs> I just thought this is the most funny thing I've ever seen. You know, so <laughs> the joke and you know, I love that. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm always somehow on the hunt for these things. Yeah. And you know, I can clearly imagine, or I saw you, let's say, bring this side of yours to Toastmasters, so your personal social media. Now, bringing it back to the real estate topic, is it something that you're bringing to your work, into your communication with your clients, or do you, there, you keep more professional, let's say, facade? Oh, it depends. It depends on the situation, on the client, but it's, you know, all these things, they are part of you, you know, it's, it's not like, so you have to also be yourself. I, I, yeah, I do like, it, it really depends on the person. If they are very serious and business-like, then you, you keep it that way. But um, as soon as you, I mean, the goal really is to establish some kind of friendly relationship. So yeah, at some point you also, you, if they are being a bit jokey, then you can be more jokey. And I think it always helps to break the ice. And uh, obviously, you have to be a bit careful in the beginning what sort of jokes you make, but then that's a good measure of them, what sort of, how how they react. And yeah, it's I I think it's it makes everything more enjoyable if you can just share a, share a laugh. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay, I think you know the, the very the very last question I have for you. You know, something uh, mm-hmm. let's say practical to close our nice chat with. Would be imagine that you have a, toast, a friend in Toastmasters, maybe your age, maybe a little bit younger, and they're mm-hmm. telling you, Percy, I, I would love to start uh, in the area of real estate. And they're they're like, mm-hmm. let's say, moderately experienced Toastmaster, pretty good at public speaking, but they have no clue where to start uh, if they want to become a real estate uh, professionals. Mm-hmm. Would you have any tips for them how to get started and how to get started effectively, not to waste time or not to make too many mistakes in the beginning? Hmm. That's a tough question for me because I, I, as I told you, I sort of slipped into it. I never really, <laughs> I never really decided that I want to do it. Um, I would say one thing is try and answer the question why. 
Why do you want to do this? Uh, that's important. You know, the old thing, Simon Sinek, know your why. I think that's very important, both in, you know, when you give a speech and when you, when you, anything you do. Um, I, I would say if you, if you're, a if you have good speaking skills, you already have an advantage over a lot of people, even experienced people in that business, because really it is 90% communication or more. And if you're a good communicator and public speaking teaches you communication on every level. And because, you know, it's like, if you can do, if you can speak to an audience of 100 people effectively, you can also speak effectively to two people to one person and you learn the patterns of what works. So you have a great advantage. Um, obviously in real estate, ultimately you are selling a specific product. So you need to know the product. You need to learn about the product. So you need to decide, you know, do you, where, where do you want to work? So let's say it's in the city where you live. You obviously need to know the area quite well that you're going to specialize in. In most, um, in most companies, I think, especially in big cities, it's like you get assigned a very specific area. You would get like, I don't know, in Prague, you would get one district or even part of one district. Or so there are some companies that get very like you get one street or you get one side of the street and the other side of the street is your colleague. And that's where you list properties or something like that. Um, my advice really would be try and join Try and find a company, maybe a bigger one to start with, um, that offers training, that offers specific real estate training. Sometimes they, 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 it's a course of maybe five days or even two, three days, but it will teach you the basics that you need to know. And, and if you're in a part of a bigger team, it's easier to, you know, your mistakes will be absorbed more easily. It's not, it's not such a big deal if initially you, you, <laughs> you make a mistake as if, you know, if you're in a very small company where there's only three other agents or so on, there's more pressure on you. Um, find, find a, I would say a big reputable company, a good name in the business that offers some kind of training as part of the onboarding um, uh, process and spend some months you need at least i would say six months to become really comfortable in it and to also to get to know your your area because you're selling when you're selling real estate you're not just selling the actual property you're selling the area and the lifestyle around it right so you if you're selling property in First district in Prague, you need to really know first district in Prague very well when the client, what is the positive about this property? Well, you walk two minutes to this park and one minute to this amazing restaurant and this and this. And that's the kind of thing when you tell the client that, you know, they immediately, it's not, it's part of the sales process, but also it's what makes them trust you. You are a fountain of knowledge. You are someone who is showing them how to live, <laughs> you know, where to live and how to live. So that kind of local knowledge is very important and that is this you know we need to learn it apart from that i'd say you know carry be a good communicator feel confident in in talking to people you need to be a people's person i think to some degree you need to enjoy interacting with people um and and you have to be very curious any kind of you see something and you don't know it you need to find out um, you know, you get a you get a lead. You don't just call the client. You first Google them and try and find out if you can find something about them before you call. Just this curiosity to, to sort of be a permanent, be a constant spy somehow. That that uh, <laughs> you know, <Or> stalker. 
little bit. <laughs> it's not, you know, if you if you can't be a secret agent, you can at least be an estate agent. <laughs> it's not like 007, that. but it's like 006 and a half. <laughs> okay. Well, brilliant, Percy. I think that was really, really, really practical. So who knows, maybe after this podcast goes live, we will have many more Toastmaster friends who go into real estate and then we'll get to for some more conversations, maybe even a Toastmaster real estate meetup. Oh my God, that would be, that actually would be interesting. Yeah, that, maybe we should start that group already, right? I mean, yeah. it would be actually pretty cool. And you can have a Toastmasters real estate. I, I actually, I, I imagine there is some, there actually is probably somewhere in the world a club that is Toastmasters real estate. And maybe online we can, we can even attend. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for making the time for this chat, for sharing your knowledge. And good luck. Hopefully you will get uh, rid of all false shakes and you do not have too many fake clients that you'll have a, you, you shake the shake off you have a lot of lot of big big sales that will be you know done in one month and i'm looking looking forward to meeting you in person soon again me too actionable steps checking out real estate agent job postings in your town for example if you're a super crazy, super rich person, get in touch with Percy. He's used to dealing with such people. And even if you don't start buying houses or selling houses, maybe you'll take an example from Percy's patients with his clients. Or perhaps you'll get inspired to write a goodbye letter as if your car wrote it and then share with all of us on Facebook. If you haven't subscribed yet, now might be a good time to do so. Subscribe to the Toast of the Wild East. And also you might want to check out the Toast Wild or at Toast Wild Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram. You can find the links and details in the episode notes. That's it for today. Have a great week and talk to you next time. Bye-bye.